Ron stood on the front step with his wife and children. He pressed the doorbell and waited for someone to come to the door. A woman opened the door, looked at him and said, well, there's a familiar looking face. Come on in. The rest of the family is waiting for you. Wow. I mean, isn't that a powerful moment? Doesn't that make you a tear come to your eye? Wait, it doesn't? You're not moved by that scene? Seriously? Not at all? I mean, every time I picture that moment, it, it does something to me. How can it not affect you? Are you heartless? Do you have no soul? How could that moment not move you? Actually, do you want to know why that moment affects me and it doesn't affect you? It's because I know the backstory and you don't. It's because I know what led up to that moment. I know the big picture behind that moment. It's because I know the context surrounding that moment and you don't. Context is everything. Understanding the backstory is everything. Knowing the big picture is everything. You experience the reality of this dynamic every time you start watching a movie halfway through. Things are happening on the screen that make no sense to you whatsoever. For example, you're channel surfing and you stumble upon the film Return of the King. It's the third installment in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but you neither read nor watched the first two installments. So you watch as some odd-looking guy named Gollum bites the finger off a young man named Frodo because the Gollum guy wants a ring that Frodo is wearing. And you see this and you're thinking to yourself, why would somebody do such a thing? It's just a ring, buddy. It's just a piece of jewelry. Get a grip. What's your problem at that moment? Your problem is this. You have parachuted into the middle of a story. So you have no idea of the context of the events that you're seeing. You have no idea of the backstory. You have no idea of the big picture. That's why much of the meaning is lost on you. Well, with that in mind, let's go back to the story of Ron standing on the doorstep. Now, I know Ron. I've known Ron for decades. I journeyed with Ron through some serious and dark times in his life and he's given me permission to tell his story. Much of Ron's struggles were rooted in a deep sense of shame and abandonment. You see, Ron was not raised by his biological family, but neither was Ron adopted into another family. Ron was raised in a bit of a no-man's land when it came to families. As a young child, Ron was placed in a home. They housed him, they fed him, but they never adopted him. He was told to call them mom and dad, but they never truly welcomed him and they never truly accepted him. Now, this was made very clear to Ron when he was just a young boy. One day, when Ron just started going to school, he was sent home for some minor infraction. When he got home, he was immediately sent to his room. And later that afternoon, Ron overheard his mother speaking to their neighbor, explaining why little Ron was not in school. He heard his mother say, yeah, Ron got into a bit of trouble today. He was sent home by the principal. Now, you realize, of course, Ron's not really our child. Those words pierced the heart of that little boy, and those words fed a feeling of rejection that haunted him from that moment on. Years later, after getting married and starting his own family, through an incredible series of coincidences, Ron became aware of his roots, which eventually led to Ron being invited to a home for a meal to meet 
for the first time face-to-face members of his biological family. As Ron stood on that doorstep, his heart and his mind were filled with fear. Would they accept him or would they reject him? The terror of abandonment consumed him as he stood on that doorstep and pressed that doorbell. On the outside, Ron was a grown man waiting for someone to answer the door. On the inside, Ron was a little boy, believing he was not wanted and he did not belong. While he waited for the door to open, Ron thought about turning and running. Then the moment arrived, the moment that I described to you as I began today. A woman opened the door, looked at him and said, Well, there's a familiar looking face. Welcome. Come on in. The rest of the family is waiting for you. Now do you see why it moves me every time I picture that moment? At that moment, something incredibly powerful was taking place. For the first time in his life, Ron felt like he was wanted. For the first time in his life, Ron felt like he belonged. The context, the backstory, the big picture is everything. Suddenly, words have more meaning. Suddenly, events take on greater power. Well, what you did with Ron's story, what the channel surfer did with the Lord of the Rings story, is what many do with the story of Jesus. They parachute into his life with no context, with no backstory, with no sense of the big picture. And as a result, they struggle to grasp the meaning of Jesus' words and the power of Jesus' life. Author Dan Kimball put it this way. He wrote, when you read about Jesus in the Bible, you need to understand that Jesus doesn't just appear one day out of nowhere. He has a backstory that begins long before his birth in Bethlehem. There are hints of him in the book of Genesis as far back as the Garden of Eden and in a promise made about him to Abraham. The hints about Jesus become more clear in the writings of the prophet Isaiah, leading right up to his birth in the New Testament. There's an entire story that precedes his birth, giving all that he says and does additional meaning. Now, when I first read that quote, it inspired me. It inspired me to the point that today we're beginning a brand new series here at Broadway Church, a series we've entitled The Big Picture. It's a series designed to fill in the context, to provide the backstory, to give people the big picture regarding the life of Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take the entire Bible, the entire story of God's activity, and we're going to arrange it into six main acts, starting with the creation of the existing heaven and earth, and then eventually ending with the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to discover how each main act contributes to the entire story. We're going to discover how each main act moves the story forward until it reaches the dramatic conclusion in the final book of the Bible. It's our hope that by doing this, by providing the context of the life of Jesus, by explaining the backstory of the life of Jesus, by seeing the big picture of the life of Jesus, we'll better understand the power of the life of Jesus. In fact, now would be a great time to reveal today's big idea, where we reveal the the whole concept of, of today's teaching in one simple sentence. Here's today's big idea. Summarizing the thinking behind this whole series, I'll put it this way. If you want to answer the big questions in life, 
you will need to grasp the big picture in life. Say that again. If you want to answer the big questions in life, you will need to grasp the big picture in life. So then, with that as our goal, we're beginning today, at the beginning, with Act 1. And the title of Act 1 is this, God Creates and Dwells with Humanity. Have you ever found yourself looking at the world around you, seeing the pain, pondering the tragedy, and wondering to yourself, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why did you create this world? Why did you create us? Why did you create me? What's the point of all this? Perhaps you have pain in your past. You're feeling pressure in your present. Or you have fear about your future. And you're wondering where God is and what God's doing. You need to know that you cannot get the answer to these questions by solely focusing upon this present moment in time. You will only be able to answer these questions by pulling back from this moment and by getting a glimpse of the big picture. To do otherwise is to channel surf through life, to randomly parachute into the third installment of a trilogy, watch Gollum bite Frodo's finger and wonder why. If you want to know why things are happening, if you want to know what God is doing, if you want to know where this is all going, you will need to get the big picture. And that means you will need to go back to the beginning. And biblically speaking, that means that you need to turn to the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. You need to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word Genesis means beginning, and the very first sentence in the Bible sets the stage for everything that takes place. That first sentence says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Act one lays the foundation. God creates a wonderful, ordered universe full of beauty and potential. Now, decades ago, by looking through the lens of the Hubble telescope, researchers came to a stunning realization. They came to realize that the universe is expanding, which led to another even more stunning realization. If the universe is expanding, that means the universe had a beginning. Now, this realization shocked and rocked the scientific community because up until that point, many had chosen to assert that the universe was eternal. They declared that the universe had always existed, thereby eliminating the need for a creator. But suddenly they were confronted with evidence that their previous belief was false. Robert Jastrow, astronomer, physicist, the first chairman of NASA's Lunar Exploration Committee, he famously made this observation in his book entitled God and the Astronomers. He said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. The reasoning is inescapable. The universe had a beginning, and whatever begins to exist must have had a cause. And the very first sentence of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible unveils that first cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, don't try to squeeze more out of that verse than is warranted. Genesis 1-1 answers the question when, in the beginning. It answers the question who, God. 
It even answers the question, what created the heavens and the earth? However, Genesis 1-1 does not answer the question, how? That question remains open for investigation, and we're free to follow wherever the evidence leads. God, where are you? What are you doing? Why did you create such a world? Why did you create us? Why did you create me? What's the point of all this? If you want to answer the big questions in life, you'll need to grasp the big picture in life. And so far we've learned that God created a wonderful, ordered universe full of beauty and potential. But the first two chapters of Genesis give us even more information, providing us with an even bigger picture. Because we further discover that human beings are uniquely created in God's image to live in a loving relationship with him. The Bible says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in my hand is a spray can. Inside of this can is a a mix of chemicals formulated to precisely kill wasps and hornets. So what you do is you spray this onto a hornet's nest or a wasp's nest, or you can spray it directly on the wasp or the hornet, and it kills them. It's really good. I have here as well a powder. This powder is uniquely designed to kill ants. Now, what you do with this powder is you open this lid, you sprinkle it onto the ground or onto a nest or onto an area where these ants can be found. And what they do is they walk over it, they eat some of it, there's some food in it that they like, and when they eat this food, it kills them. Now, here's a good one. This is something that has been engineered to instantly kill rodents. By the way, it's the Tomcat Rat Snap Trap. I highly recommend this. I can't tell you how many mice and rats have had their final moments inside of this thing. It's really good. You set the trap and then it snaps down, destroys that ant, or destroys ants too, but it destroys that rat, it destroys mice. It's a powerful thing. Now, what I do not have and what I cannot do is use a spray or a device or a powder or a trap to kill a pesky or annoying neighbor. Why is that? Why must I treat an annoying neighbor differently from how I treat an annoying insect? Well, it's part of the big picture. It's because human beings are uniquely created in God's image to live in a loving relationship with him. So that means there is an intrinsic value. There's a built-in quality possessed by every human being. God created a wonderful ordered universe full of beauty and potential. And the highest, the most valuable of all of God's creation is humanity. Human beings are uniquely created in God's image to live in a loving relationship with him. As a human being, you are designed to experience what no other creature on this entire planet can experience. You are designed to live in a relationship with the one who created you. Now, pause and ponder that for a moment. The unfathomable mind that imagined the universe, the all-powerful being that formed the universe, wants to have a relationship with you. But it doesn't end there. The big picture gets even bigger as you continue to read the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible. God creates a wonderful, ordered universe full of beauty and potential. 
Human beings are uniquely created in God's image to live in a loving relationship with him. And then these humans are assigned the role of multiplying, managing, and maintaining God's creation. Genesis says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God assigned humanity with a task, with a purpose, with a role to multiply, manage, maintain his creation. God first created the male of the human species, but humans are not created to be loners, but to be social creatures. So then, out of the identical material, God created the female of the species, an equal being to be an equal partner. That's what the term suitable helper means in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Suitable literally means eye to eye or face to face. It means the male did not look down upon the female. It means the male and the female were eye to eye, face to face. They were equal in value and worth. The writer of Genesis says that the female was a suitable helper. Helper is not the word for a personal assistant or a second in command. It's not like, oh, daddy's a little helper, hand me that wrench. No, that's not what this word meant. Helper is a word for someone who comes to the rescue of another. It's used in the Bible to describe armies. It's even used to describe God. So when you put the two words together, you see that the female is a suitable helper, created as an equal, powerful partner to the male. God designed the male and the female to partner together, to mentally, emotionally, and physically form a family unit. And God designed the family unit to be the most basic foundational unit in society. Within the family, humans are to be nurtured and trained and matured. Until one day, we are to be launched out from the family into the greater society to fulfill our part of the mandate of multiplying, managing, and maintaining God's creation. And this cycle is to repeat and repeat and repeat. God, where are you? What are you doing? Why did you create such a world? Why did you create us? Why did you create me? What's the point of all this? Important questions that we all ask in life. Questions that can only be answered in context. And a key piece of that context is laid out in the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. An important portion of that backstory is provided in the first two chapters. A major element of that big picture is revealed in the first two chapters. God creates a wonderful ordered universe full of beauty and potential. Human beings are uniquely created in God's image to live in a loving relationship with Him. Humans are assigned the role of multiplying, managing, and maintaining God's creation. And as we approach the end of the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible, life is unfolding exactly as God designed it to unfold. Humans exist in perfect harmony with God and with one another. Genesis says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was peace, there was unity, there was no lying, no deceiving, no cheating, no stealing. There were no murders, no assaults, no attacks, no wars. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This is what God was envisioning. This is why you were created. But this is not what you and I are experiencing. Why? Because there's more to the story. 
there's more to the context. The picture is bigger than the first two chapters of Genesis. And next week, when we turn the page to the third chapter of Genesis, things will get uglier and things will get clearer. In the meantime, let me say this in closing. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your failures, God is present. You're not alone. You've not been abandoned. You are known and you're loved. You're known and you're loved by the one who created the universe and created you. If you desire to heal your pain, clear your confusion, defeat your fears, and be forgiven of your failures, there's only one way to accomplish that, by surrendering your life to the one known as Jesus of Nazareth, God who stepped into history, lived as our example, died as our sacrifice, and rose again as our Savior. He stands before you right now, today, at this very moment, and he offers you the gift of eternal life. Your response will determine your destiny. Let's pray together right now. God, I thank you that you know the beginning from the end. I thank you that you see me, you see everyone and everything around me. I thank you that your knowledge expands into the future. You know all things and you do all things well. You know my fears, my confusion, my failures, my sin. And you stepped into history to pay my moral debt, to cleanse me of my sin. Thank you for that. And thank you that I can trust you with the big picture of life. Thank you that I can trust you day to day as I work out my salvation. And as I trust you moment by moment, I can know that you're leading and guiding me. If you're watching today and you can't pray this prayer, you can't say that you're trusting God or that you've accepted his gift of salvation. Right now, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that very thing, to accept Christ into your life to trust his forgiveness, to for, trust and accept his, his power of salvation in your life. You can do that right now. Just agree with me as I pray. God, I don't claim to understand it all, but what I do understand, I trust and believe right now that you came to earth, that you died in my place, you paid my moral debt, you rose again from the dead, defeating death and sin, and now you're offering me the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So I turn my back on my old way of living. I don't want to live that way anymore. And I choose to follow you from this moment on. Fill me with your spirit. Begin to dwell within me by your spirit. Transform me from the inside out from this moment forward. And would you give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision, even before my head hits the pillow this evening. In the authority of the resurrected Jesus, I pray this prayer. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, congratulations. You have taken the step now to become a follower of Jesus. And even right now, his spirit has begun to dwell within you. The best advice I can give you is to tell somebody about this decision, someone that you know is a follower of Jesus. Maybe you can text the number on the screen right now. One of our staff members will respond to your text. Now, we're not gonna phone you. We're not gonna spam you. We're not gonna put you on a list. We're not gonna harass you in any way. We'll simply text you back, congratulating you and offering our services to you in any way that we can. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Join us again next time as we continue in act two of the Big Picture series.